0: Today's global consumer is very clear in their demand for safe, affordable and sustainable protein to continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia and the veterinary community. Merck Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust.
1: Thank you for joining us for Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. I'm Jane Dukes, and I'm part of the Merck Animal Health Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team, and I'm going to host today's conversation. I've been working with consumers and food for my entire career, more than half of it with McDonald's. And as I think about it, when it comes to decisions we make on a regular basis, there may be no decision more important than the foods we choose for ourselves and our families. From a position at McDonald's to position of mom, I know that as a mom of three, I, I very carefully considered what my kids ate and and worried about whether or not they were getting all of the vitamins and minerals their growing bodies needed, especially as they became athletes as teenagers. My guest today is a registered dietitian, Kim Kircher, and I sure wish I had her on speed dial when I was raising my kids. And we're going to dive into an array of topics as we explore protein as part of a healthy diet. So Kim, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. And before we dive in, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and, and your background with our listeners?
0: Well, hello and thank you for having me. Yes, I am a registered dietitian by training and my grandpa was a dairy farmer so my mom grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin and my dad actually grew up in the city of Chicago and his grandfather had a horse-drawn milk route in the city. So, I kind of share that because I feel like that's part of the conversation as you so beautifully put with health and wellness these days is reconnecting with agriculture from the farm to the table. And so that's my family and when I grew up, my grandpa had perch on horses, so some other time we can talk about that. And then when I got into kind of school and athletics and everything else, nutrition was really important. And, and we too grew up in a household where we valued good health and sleeping enough and exercising and good nutrition. And it just naturally led me to dietetics, which then continued on my professional training in that. So I too have been very Public facing, so I used to do individual counseling at a hospital as an outpatient dietitian. I worked for a large retailer in a grocery in the Chicago area, and I've also worked with independent retailers from a global perspective. And I also had the pleasure to work for America's Dairy Farmers. So now I kind of combine that healthcare and that food retail and that agriculture perspective and put it all together. And it's been really great because that's really where people's heads are at with the, the conversations that they're having about their food right now.
1: That's awesome. And Kim, we have very similar backgrounds. I just moved from Wisconsin a couple of years ago and I've worked extensively with the dairy industry and I raised my kids in the Chicago suburbs. So we'll have to catch up on that later too. As someone who follows consumer trends and wants to make sure we are all making decisions that are right for us and our loved ones, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So let's start with the foundation, if you will. We all know our bodies need protein, but share with us why it's such an important nutrient for a healthy lifestyle.
0: Well, it does so many different things. And that's the, the wonderful complexities about nutrition. And I I love that we're going to have a, enough time to get into this because it's not just about the protein, but it's about the other nutrients that come along with that protein package, if you will. And right now, everybody's focused on the immune system, especially for coming out of 2020. And when you think about what protein does for healing and recovery, it's really just kind of an essential part of our nutrition conversation. So we've got the three macronutrients, carbohydrates, protein, and fat, and they all play a role in helping support our health. And I think that's just such a fundamental thing. We often think about protein for muscle building, but we forget sometimes that it
1: has these other nuances for overall health as well. And I'm sure, as you said, coming out of 2020 and, and still you know, halfway into 2021, consumers are very concerned about their health. As a result of the global pandemic, do you think that has made protein more important or do you think consumers even understand the importance? I think
0: there's a heightened awareness about food in general. And I said it laughingly to a dietitian colleague of mine the other day, it's never been more fun to be a dietitian because all the stuff we know are the questions people are asking now. So it's really kind of opened the door to really have conversations much deeper across the whole food supply chain. So what's happening on the farm and really listening to what farmers have been doing and the continuous improvement and all the wonderful things that continue to happen there all the way through into those conversations about rolling through the grocery store and what am I gonna put in my cart and what is this particular food doing for me? So I do think there's a heightened awareness for a variety of reasons. I think the other added fun benefit to it is not only from a health perspective, But from a cooking perspective, because people were forcibly reintroduced to their kitchens and cooking for themselves, all of a sudden, I think a lot more people were like, wow, I didn't realize I enjoyed cooking so much, or wow, I never knew that I could cook that particular cut at home. So I think that protein conversation has opened up both from a health and nutrient perspective, but also from a culinary enjoyment and experience perspective.
1: You know, there are different kinds of protein. How is protein from meat? poultry, fish, milk, eggs, et cetera, animal protein, different from protein from other foods, for example, plant-based protein. And why is it important to keep these animal protein sources on the plate? Well, variety
0: is such an important thing, and I could go on and on about so many details. So let's kind of break it down from a cultural relevancy. And you kind of alluded to that even in the introduction When we think about what food means, it's a connection to who we are and kind of helps tell our story, where we're from and, and what those places are known for. So from that cultural perspective, which is so important right now, too, there's that piece of the story. And then when you look at the conversation about nutrient rich foods, the variety of different foods. And if you think about the dietary guidelines that just came out and you think about my plate, which is the visual representation of the dietary guidelines, There are five food groups that are necessary. And when we look at those animal proteins or animal foods, they fall into that nutrient rich category. And when you think about the nutrients in meat, kind of beyond protein, as I alluded to earlier, we've got B vitamins, including B12. We've got protein, like we've talked about. We've got both heme and non heme iron and the availability of that iron for our bodies is fantastic we've got zinc which is also important for our immune system selenium phosphorus potassium choline and the list goes on and on but that's just a, a short long list of some of the benefits that we're getting from those foods and so one of the ways that i like to talk about food is what are you getting for the dollars and the calories that you're spending and when we think about that conversation. It's a
1: wonderful story to tell. That's interesting to break it down that way, you know, not only from a financial standpoint of what you're spending at the grocery store, but also from a, from a health perspective, as we're seeing that more consumers are trying to use food as a way to being more healthy. What trends are you seeing in protein consumption that you hope continue?
0: I love that people are willing to experiment with new things that maybe they didn't try before and even cuts like bone in versus boneless. Most recipes can use both of those things. And what can you do with that bone afterwards and making soups and stocks and things like that? So I, I think from a culinary perspective, there's a little bit more of an eye opening, like, wow. I never tried that before, or I've only had that in a restaurant and I think I want to try it at home. And so the value in a recipe that is well-written with clear directions, including temperature, so you get a good and food safe eating experience all at the same time, those tools that maybe we looked at, I always called it like for entertainment, like maybe you looked at recipes for fun, maybe you watched a TV show to entertain yourself about food. And now all of a sudden, we're putting it into practice. So the shift is a little bit more about action. And I think it's really fun when we can take science and all of these different nutrient-rich foods and put them into play on our plate and actually be in that creative process and pair them with different herbs and spices and the seasonal fruits and vegetables that sing to the temperatures of the season that we're in. There's just... So much joy in that process. And I think people are really rediscovering or maybe even discovering that for the first time.
1: So conversely, are there any trends in protein consumption that cause you concern? I
0: think sometimes people get caught up in conversations that might be very well intentioned, but might not have all of the details correct. Actually that's one of the reasons I love social media is finding my way to other credible experts especially from that farm and agriculture perspective because when you can start to reconnect with food from that that point of view and when you can ask farmers about caring for their animals and understanding the decisions that are being made I think there's a lot of opportunity to tell the full story of food so one of my favorite things to talk about in this vein of question is starting at the beginning of the story Oftentimes in the health world, in the agriculture world, we talk about food once people encounter it at the meat case, which is great, but let's back up and talk about all the beautiful things that are happening and remind people that synergy between the food groups, not just on their plate, but also on the farm. And most farmers are growing and raising more than one thing. And why is that? And those are some of the really amazing conversations that I think are are trending right now. And I think it gets somewhat tricky, but somewhat fun all at the same time to help really deliver science-based, accurate information about the different food choices and what's happening in that space and really catching people's attention to make sure that they know the full story.
1: That's very interesting. And it's a nice segue to talk a little bit about consumer trends. I just finished a LinkedIn article that was highlighting a few key takeaways from the most recent Power of Meat study and an additional consumer trends on, on protein consumption. Um, a couple data points that I found interesting are that while the number of consumers who consider themselves meat eaters has decreased by 14%, the number of consumers who agree that meat and poultry belong in a healthy balanced diet increased 12%. What do you make of these findings? And do you think they're accurate? I love this
0: question so much. And there's so many things to unpack. So I'll start with one thing and then we can keep on going. But I I feel like (laughs) when you even look at how a question is asked lately, that has been something that as a, a health professional myself, when you are talking about a survey, when we hear about a health and wellness survey, a sustainability survey, a survey like this one, the question that you just asked, it's like, how was health and wellness defined? How was sustainability defined? How were the answers, was it multiple choice or open-ended? Because all of a sudden, the accuracy of that information becomes really crystal clear. So I love these really accurate surveys that go out because, and they tell you, hey, this is how we framed it up. This is what the question was. So you can really understand the context and the tone of that. So I love that you asked that question. And then the other part of it is like we were talking about earlier, there's such a heightened awareness and I'm going to be optimistic and say it's more about the meal pattern and the balance. And so maybe there's an opportunity to say if you were only eating one food group or only eating one thing on your plate, Maybe there's a chance that we know that there's five food groups for a reason. And not only is it more delicious when we've got a little bit more balance and variety on our plate, but it's also doing more things for us. So maybe somebody who going back to specifically that question that you mentioned, maybe somebody who is saying, I understand the importance of meat or protein on my plate maybe they're understanding and seeing some of the conversations about the support of our health and the role that protein plays beyond just building muscle. So maybe they're adding some more protein in where they hadn't. And maybe some of the other folks are like, well, gosh, I haven't been eating my fruits and vegetables. And maybe that kebab, for example, looks delicious. And I'm adding in some of those other food groups that I need. So I tend to be an optimistic person, and and so that's going to be my optimistic answer to it. And I also think when we look back to the dietary guidelines, which really is not consumer facing, it's much more for experts and, and health professionals to really look at that big picture. But when we think about how they're framing it up, there's really three principles that they're talking about, and it's that we want our nutrition to come from foods and beverages as much as possible. We need a balance. And we also need to make sure that we're talking about portion control. So I think all of a sudden, everyone's understanding the role that different foods play. And you really cannot get everything you need from one food. There's got to be balance to get us what we need as humans.
1: Right. And I really love that message about balance, balance and choice. You know, when I was at McDonald's, we were the official food service provider for the Olympic Games. And that was the message that we delivered all the time that McDonald's food can fit into a healthy, balanced diet. And I think that animal protein or dairy or eggs, they all fit into a healthy, balanced diet too. It's all about balance and choice to your point. So I recently saw a study that noted that doctors are worried that teenagers aren't getting enough calcium in their diets. And that really was stunning to me because, you know, drinking milk, there was some misinformation about that, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago. And so now the result, it would appear is that Kids are drinking less milk and now they're worried about long-term health consequences. And teenagers today who have a calcium deficiency, do you think this is an unintended consequence of removing milk or animal protein from the diet?
0: Well, anytime that you take out a food group that's got as many nutrients as like a glass of milk or a container of yogurt or whatever dairy food option you prefer, there's going to be unintended consequences. And if if you take one thing out that's got this huge nutrient package, You have to be super mindful of how you're going to replace that. And that's a really important nuance, too, because when you look at dairy and you look at some of the alternative beverages that are out there, they're alternative, most of them from a culinary performance perspective, like you might bake some muffins with uh, an alternative or something like that. But the nutrient package is not the same. And I think we all have to do a better job. Those of us that are in the the farm to table, I'll call it, whether we're a farmer or a dietitian or anyone in between, we have to really articulate that if you can replace something from a performance and texture perspective, that does not mean it's nutritionally similar. And so I'm going to take people back to my plate because it's such a simple visual with such complex science behind it. And when we look at that dairy group, it's one of the five. And when you look within the dairy group from my plate, soy beverage is the only other thing that's in there because it's the most nutritionally similar to dairy. The other ones are not there because they don't have that nutrient package. And so you have to be careful. You have to look at enrichment and fortification. You have to know what you're getting. And sometimes it's reintroducing people to something. A glass of milk does not need to be cooked. If you can pour, you can have protein and carbohydrate and the beautiful nutrients, including calcium, as you mentioned, without having to do a lot of work. And when you think about the trend of people wanting simple ingredient lists, I always jokingly say, you know, what's in milk, milk. And a couple of other vitamins. So, I mean, talk about a simple ingredient list. So I think it's really almost rethinking how we talk about some of these foods that have been around and they're kind of like the best friend that you always turn to when you need somebody. And then you have the flashy friends that catch your attention. All of those friends are important. But those true solid friends that are working for you, let's not forget about them. And let's reintroduce ourselves to all of the benefits
1: of having those as part of our diet, if you will. So maybe we need to do a better job of, of communicating those things. Staying with balance and choice, because this is such a great conversation. How do you deal with the emotional sides of food choices and work to educate consumers on healthy choices and a balanced diet from that emotional standpoint? You know, you just said that milk is like your best friend. I really like that. Maybe that's, that's a direction we should be moving.
0: I think it starts with understanding that food is an incredibly personal and emotional conversation. And for every single person, it's different. And I will tell you having a birthday just recently passed, how you define health and wellness as an individual on your birthday is going to be different than you define it on a random Tuesday or Wednesday, because there's a celebratory cake for most people and there's other foods that provide a different function and reason for having them. So I I think it's understanding even how an individual defines health and wellness can change within that person from day to day. The other piece of it is knowing that when you look at the health conditions and the health status of the population, chances are good that the very people that we're trying to connect with are managing one or more chronic conditions that are lifestyle related. So when we start from a foundation of understanding that these are personal decisions and whether it's my individual health or my loved ones, family members, friends, whoever they may be that we're trying to navigate, there's probably some health condition that is involved in the decision making. So how do we tell the food story and I'll take it back to being a problem solver. How do we say this is how this food fits in? And the other piece of that is there is no food that doesn't fit into that balance, variety and moderation point of view. And so one of my favorite things to do is to say to people, you can try to stump the dietitian. like name a food that you think I'm going to tell you not to eat. I will never say that unless you're truly diagnosed as allergic to it. That's a different conversation. But if there's something that you love and there's something that has meaning to you, let's figure it out. And if it's a family recipe, maybe we'll talk about some modifications to that. Maybe it's a portion control conversation and maybe we're going to leave that recipe alone and we're going to talk about what you serve with it. And or what you have in the other meals surrounding when you have that very special family meal that has been handed down from generation to generation. So I feel like I'm going on and on, but I get super passionate about this because when we can take it back to that perspective and we're like, it's about health, it's about meaning, it's about meeting that person's needs while honoring all that that food means to them. That's how we're going to have the best two-way
1: conversation. Sure. So if you have birthday cake for dinner, have broccoli for lunch.
0: You know it. That's exactly <laughs> it. And maybe don't eat the entire birthday cake at one right. time.
1: <laughs> right. That's great. And I think that leads into my, my last topic very nicely. And that's talking about myths. You know, the NGOs, special interest groups are out there beating the drum every single day. And, and oftentimes it's hard to keep up with them. And when they beat the drum, then they, convince consumers that something is true when, when perhaps it, it isn't. So with so much information out there today, quite a bit of it driven by special interest groups appearing in social media that's you know so instantaneous, how do you counter myths and misinformation when it's brought to your attention?
0: Starting from that emotional, personal conversation place again, and knowing that it needs to be a two-way conversation has been super helpful for me in that, whether it's in person or online. And I think the most important thing that we can do is when someone asks us a question, it's almost like we were talking about earlier with the survey, like, why are they asking the question? What do they mean by what they're asking us? And really trying to figure out what's driving that question before we start giving them facts about the content that could answer their question. And that might sound a little bit convoluted, but it actually is an easier conversation to have because oftentimes someone is asking a question because they heard a headline or their neighbor said something or whatever the case may be. And if we can probe a little bit and say, tell me a little bit more about why you're asking, where did you hear that? Or or tell me a little bit more about that. We, as the expert, get the context of where they're coming from. And if it's more about, well, I heard it on the news, then we can say, oh, And go down a different path. And the other thing that I love that agriculture taught me as a freeze is continuous improvement. Like you said, science continues to evolve. We don't know everything yet. And we continue to learn more, whether it's agriculture details or nutrition details, all of it. And so I think one of the best things we can do for people is help them understand that it's not a static conversation. And it's not because we don't know what we're doing. We're doing the best we can now with the knowledge that we have, but science marches on. And so we're pivoting. We're not changing our mind. We're saying, wow, we were doing the best we could then, but now we know this. So we're going to take what we were doing and we're going to pivot into this new information and be even better. And that, that phrase continuous improvement to me is such a positive one. It's easy to understand. And it's a great way to start the story, because then it's explaining why things might be changing.
1: Sure. And, and, you know, knowledge does continue to evolve, and we need to evolve with it. And I think that connecting on a shared value to your point of asking questions to dig a little deeper to see what, what is the real concern and what's driving that concern is really helpful. So staying with science for a moment, you know, we often say, let's not talk a lot of science, let's talk about things that consumers can feel and and relate to. How do you work science into your responses when you're talking about food and health?
0: It might surprise you to know that I don't think we should tuck the science away. I think connecting it wherever we can without it being distracting, especially because you can hyperlink from a blog and provide the, the knowledge that we have at this time There's a lot of people who would read it if they knew it was there. And I think we need to give our audiences a little bit more credit that maybe they could understand it. Or if we gave it to them, they might have more questions about it. So I'm all for saying, if we know that science is out there, let's write a blog. And and I do this on my own blog all the time. So I'm kind of describing my thought process for answering your question about how I tuck science in. I write the blog that if you just wanna read the blog as it stands, there's nothing distracting and it will tell you the story. But I also will include hyperlinks that if you're like, oh man, I love that point or I wanna learn more about that particular detail, I will curate and mine the source so it's there for you if you want it. It's not quote unquote required reading to get the gist of the story. My favorite thing to do is talk about online recipes we've got the beautiful pictures and you hear the story about like why this dumpling was the family recipe and all of that. And it's like, well, why couldn't we put in a little bit about the science, whether it's food science and saying, Hey, do you know what milk actually does when you're baking something or what's the role of that egg in this dish? Like, what is it doing? Why not hyperlink to some of those things or a farm family story or something that is, that broader perspective that again, is not distracting. And if you're not interested, it's not something to dig through. But if you kind of like that
1: concept, we've tucked it in for you in a place that you can find it from an accurate source. That's awesome. And I think that's a great idea. And I'm going to put that in my blogs. Hooray. (laughs) So um, just to kind of wrap this up, I'm sure you get all kinds of questions about diet and health. What is the one question you wish everyone would ask as they work to lead a healthy lifestyle and supplementing that healthy lifestyle through the food choices they make.
0: How can I be happy, include everything that I like to eat and do and still follow the science? And I know that's kind of a multi-tiered question, but my whole goal is not to tell people what to do. It's help them know how to inform their thinking so they can make the best decision for themselves at every day, every meal and every snack. And I don't really use the word consumer. I like to use the word individuals. So I don't lose sight of, even if I'm talking to a thousand people, I want to know that there's an individual hearing me from their lens in every conversation I have. And I think if we can help people, and I'm going to take it right back and say, we are solving people's problems for them. Let's give them the tools that they can solve the problems for themselves instead of the tactical facts that there are so many of, if we could get to that state, I think we would
1: have amazing food and agriculture conversations. Well, that's just awesome. Kim, this has been such a great conversation. And I thank you for joining me today as we explored, you know, why meat, poultry, fish, and eggs, and dairy are essential to our health and well-being. And to all of you who are listening, thank you. I hope you continue to follow our podcast, Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. And you can also find more about what the Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team is working on at Merck Animal Health on our website. The address is in the notes of this podcast. Until next time, enjoy a great meal with friends and family. Thanks, Kim. Thank you.